Part six of the Old English Baron. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. The Old English Baron, a Gothic story by Clara Reeve. Part six. He came down equipped for his journey and went hastily for fear of observation. He paid his customary devotions and soon after Oswald tapped at the door. They conferred together upon the interesting subject that engrossed their attention until Joseph came to them, who brought the rest of Edmund's baggage and some refreshment for him before he set out. Edmund promised to give them the earliest information of his situation and success. At the hour of twelve they heard the same groans as the night before in the lower apartment, but, being somewhat familiarized to it, they were not so strongly affected. Oswald crossed himself and prayed for the departed soul. He also prayed for Edmund, and recommended him to the divine protection. He then arose and embraced that young man, who also took a tender leave of his friend Joseph. They then went, with silence and caution, through a long gallery. They descended the stairs in the same manner. They crossed the hall in profound silence, and hardly dared to breathe, lest they should be overheard. They found some difficulty in opening one of the folding doors, which at last they accomplished. They were again in jeopardy at the outward gate. At length they conveyed him safely into the stables. There they again embraced him and prayed for his prosperity. He then mounted his horse and set forth to Wyatt's cottage. He hallooed at the door and was answered from within. In a few minutes John came out to him. What, is it you, Master Edmund? Hush, said he, not a word of who I am. I go upon private business and would not wish to be known. If you will go forward, sir, I will soon overtake you. He did so, and they pursued their journey to the north. In the meantime, Oswald and Joseph returned in silence into the house. They retired to their respective apartments without hearing or being heard by any one. About the dawn of day, Oswald intended to lay his packets in the way of those to whom they were addressed. After much contrivance, he determined to take a bold step, and, if he were discovered, to frame some excuse. Encouraged by his late success, he went on tiptoe into Master William's chamber, placed a letter upon his pillow, and withdrew unheard. Exulting in his heart, he attempted the baron's apartment, but found it fastened within. Finding this scheme frustrated, he waited till the hour the baron was expected down to breakfast, and laid the letter and the key of the haunted apartment upon the table. Soon after, he saw the baron enter the breakfast room. He got out of sight but stayed within call, preparing himself for a summons. The baron sat down to breakfast. He saw a letter directed to himself. He opened it, and to his great surprise, read as follows. The guardian of the haunted apartment to Baron Fitzowen. To thee I remit the key of my charge, until the right owner shall come, who will both discover and avenge my wrongs. Then woe be to the guilty, but let the innocent rest in peace. In the meantime, let none presume to explore the secrets of my apartment, lest they suffer for their temerity. The baron was struck with amazement at the letter. He took up the key, examined it, then laid it down, and took up the letter. He was in such confusion of thought, he knew not what to do or say for several minutes. At length he called his servants about him. The first question he asked was, Where is Edmund? They could not tell. "'Has he been called?' 
Yes, my lord, but nobody answered, and the key was not in the door. Where is Joseph? Gone to the stables. Where is Father Oswald? In his study. Seek him, and desire him to come hither. By the time the baron had read the letter over again, he came. He had been framing a steady countenance to answer all interrogatories. As he came in, he attentively observed the baron, whose features were in strong agitation. As soon as he saw Oswald, he spoke, as one out of breath. "'Take that key, and read this letter.' He did so, shrugged up his shoulders, and remained silent. "'Father,' said my lord, "'what do you think of this letter?' "'It is a very surprising one.' "'The contents are alarming. Where is Edmund?' "'I do not know.' "'Has nobody seen him?' "'Not that I know of.' Call my sons, my kinsmen, my servants. The servants came in. Have any of you seen or heard of Edmund? No, was the answer. Father, step upstairs to my sons and kinsmen, and desire them to come down immediately. Oswald withdrew, and went first to Mr. William's chamber. My dear sir, you must come down to my lord now directly. He has something extraordinary to communicate to you. And so have I, father, See what I have found upon my pillow. Pray, sir, read it to me before you show it to anybody. My lord is alarmed too much already, and wants nothing to increase his consternation. William read his letter, while Oswald looked as if he was an utter stranger to the contents, which were these. Whatever may be heard or seen, let the seal of friendship be upon thy lips. The peasant Edmund is no more, but there still lives a man who hopes to acknowledge and repay the Lord Fitzowen's generous care and protection, to return his beloved William's vowed affection, and to claim his friendship on terms of equality. What, said William, can this mean? It is not easy to say, replied Oswald. Can you tell me what is the cause of this alarm? I can tell you nothing, but that my Lord desires to see you directly. Pray make haste down. I must go up to your brothers and kinsmen, Nobody knows what to think or believe. Master William went downstairs, and Father Oswald went to the malcontents. As soon as he entered the outward door of the apartment, Mr. Wenlock called out, Here comes the friend, now for some new proposal. Gentlemen, said Oswald, my lord desires your company immediately in the breakfast parlour. What, to meet your favourite Edmund, I suppose? said Mr. Wenlock. No, sir. "'What, then, is the matter?' said Sir Robert. "'Something very extraordinary has happened, gentlemen. Edmund is not to be found. He disappeared from the haunted apartment, the key of which was conveyed to my lord in a strange manner, with a letter from an unknown hand. My lord is both surprised and concerned, and wishes to have your opinion and advice on the occasion.' "'Tell him,' said Sir Robert, "'we will wait upon him immediately.' As Oswald went away, he heard Wenlock say, so Edmund is gone. It is no matter how, or whither. Another said, I hope the ghost has taken him out of the way. The rest laughed at the conceit, as they followed Oswald downstairs. They found the Baron and his son William commenting upon the key and the letter. My lord gave them to Sir Robert, who looked on them with marks of surprise and confusion. The Baron addressed him. Is this not a very strange affair? Son Robert, Lay aside your ill-humours, and behave to your father with the respect and affection his tenderness deserves from you, 
and give me your advice and opinion on this alarming subject. My lord, said Sir Robert, I am as much confounded as yourself. I can give no advice. Let my cousins see the letter. Let us have their opinion. They read it in turn. They were equally surprised, but when it came to Wenlock's hand, he paused and meditated some minutes. At length, I am indeed surprised, and still more concerned, to see my lord and uncle the dupe of an artful contrivance, and, if he will permit me, I shall endeavour to unriddle it, to the confusion of all that are concerned in it. Do so, Dick, said my lord, and you shall have my thanks for it. This letter, said he, I imagine to be the contrivance of Edmund, or some ingenious friend of his, to conceal some designs they have against the peace of this family, which has been too often disturbed upon that rascal's account. But what end could be proposed by it? said the baron. Why, one part of the scheme is to cover Edmund's departure. That is clear enough. For the rest we can only guess at. Perhaps he may be concealed somewhere in that apartment, from whence he may rush out in the night, and either rob or murder us, or, at least, alarm and terrify the family. The baron smiled. You shoot beyond the mark, sir, and have overshot yourself, as you have done before now. You show only your inveteracy against that poor lad, whom you cannot mention with temper. To what purpose should he shut himself up there, to be starved? Starved? No, no, he has friends in this house, looking at Oswald, who will not suffer him to want anything, those who have always magnified his virtues, and extenuated his faults will lend a hand to help him in time of need, and, perhaps, to assist his ingenuous contrivances. Oswald shrugged up his shoulders and remained silent. "'This is a strange fancy of yours, Dick,' said my lord. "'But I am willing to pursue it, first to discover what you drive at, and secondly to satisfy all that are here present of the truth or falsehood of it, that they may know what value to set upon your sagacity hereafter.' Let us all go over that apartment together, and let Joseph be called to attend us thither. Oswald offered to call him, but Wenlock stopped him. No, father, said he, you must stay with us. We want your ghostly counsel and advice. Joseph shall have no private conference with you. What mean you, said Oswald, to insinuate to my lord against me or Joseph? But your ill-will spares nobody. It will one day be known who is the disturber of the peace of this family. I wait for that time, and am silent. Joseph came. When he was told whither they were going, he looked hard at Oswald. Wenlock observed them. Lead the way, father, said he, and Joseph shall follow us. Oswald smiled. We will go where heaven permits us, said he. Alas, the wisdom of man can neither hasten nor retard its decrees. They followed the father upstairs, and went directly to the haunted apartment. The baron unlocked the door. He bid Joseph open the shutters and admit the daylight, which had been excluded for many years. They went over the rooms above stairs, and then descended the staircase, and through the lower rooms in the same manner. However, they overlooked the closet, in which the fatal secret was concealed. The door was covered with tapestry, the same as the room, and united so well that it seemed but one piece. Wenlock tauntingly desired Father Oswald to introduce them to the ghost. The father, in reply, asked them where they should find Edmund. "'Do you think,' said he, 
that he lies hid in my pocket, or in Joseph's. "'Tis no matter,' answered he. "'Thoughts are free.' "'My opinion of you, sir,' said Oswald, "'is not founded upon thoughts. "'I judge men by their actions, "'a rule, I believe, it will not suit you to be tried by.' "'None of your insolent admonitions, father,' returned Wenlock. "'This is neither the time nor the place for them.' "'That is truer than you are aware of, sir. "'I meant not to enter into the subject just now.' "'Be silent,' said my lord. "'I shall enter into this subject with you hereafter. "'Then look you to be prepared for it. "'In the meantime, do you, Dick Wenlock, answer to my questions. "'Do you think Edmund is concealed in this apartment?' "'No, sir. "'Do you think there is any mystery in it?' "'No, my lord. "'Is it haunted, think you?' "'No, I think not.' "'Should you be afraid to try?' "'In what manner, my lord?' "'Why, you have shown your wit upon the subject, "'and I mean to show your courage. "'You, and Jack Markham, your confidant, "'shall sleep here three nights, "'as Edmund has done before.' "'Sir,' said Robert, "'for what purpose? "'I should be glad to understand why.' "'I have my reasons, sir, "'as well as your kinsman there. "'No reply, sirs. "'I insist upon being obeyed in this point.' "'Joseph, let the beds be well aired, and everything made agreeable to the gentlemen. "'If there is any contrivance to impose upon me, they, I am sure, will have pleasure in detecting it. "'And if not, I shall obtain my end in making these rooms habitable. "'Oswald, come with me, and the rest may go where they list till dinner-time.' "'The baron went with Oswald into the parlour. "'Now tell me, father,' said he, "'do you disapprove what I have done?' "'Quite the contrary, my lord,' said he. "'I entirely approve it. "'But you do not know all my reasons for it. "'Yesterday Edmund's behaviour was different from what I have ever seen it. "'He is naturally frank and open in all his ways, "'but he was then silent, thoughtful, absent. "'He sighed deeply, and once I saw tears stand in his eyes. "'Now, I do suspect there is something uncommon in that apartment, "'that Edmund has discovered the secret.' and, fearing to disclose it, he has fled away from the house. As to this letter, perhaps he may have written it to hint that there is more than he dares reveal. I tremble at the hints contained in it, though I shall appear to make light of it. But I and mine are innocent, and if heaven discloses the guilt of others, I ought to adore and submit to its decrees. That is prudently and piously resolved, my lord. Let us do our duty, and leave events to heaven." "'But, father, I have a further view in obliging my kinsmen to sleep there. "'If anything should appear to them, it is better that it should only be known to my own family. "'If there is nothing in it, I shall put to the proof the courage and veracity of my two kinsmen, "'of whom I think very indifferently. "'I mean shortly to inquire into many things I have heard lately to their disadvantage, "'and if I find them guilty, they shall not escape with impunity.' "'My lord,' said Oswald, you judge like yourself. I wish you to make inquiry concerning them, and believe the result will be to their confusion, and your lordship will be enabled to re-establish the peace of your family. During this conversation Oswald was upon his guard, lest anything should escape that might create suspicion. He withdrew as soon as he could with decency, and left the bear meditating what all these things should mean, 
He feared there was some misfortune impending over his house, though he knew not from what cause. He dined with his children and kinsmen, and strove to appear cheerful, but a gloom was perceivable through his deportment. Sir Robert was reserved and respectful. Mr. William was silent and attentive. The rest of the family dutifully assiduous to my lord. Only Wenlock and Markham were sullen and chagrined. The baron detained the young men the whole afternoon. He strove to amuse and to be amused. He showed the greatest affection and paternal regard to his children, and endeavored to conciliate their affections and engage their gratitudes by kindness. Wenlock and Markham felt their courage abate as the night approached. At the hour of nine, old Joseph came to conduct them to the haunted apartment. They took leave of their kinsmen and went upstairs with heavy hearts. They found the chamber set in order for them, and a table spread with provisions and good liquor to keep up their spirits. It seems, said Wedlock, that your friend Edmund was obliged to you for his accommodations here. Sir, said Joseph, his accommodations were bad enough the first night, but afterwards they were bettered by my lord's orders. Owing to your officious cares, said Wenlock. I own it, said Joseph, and am not ashamed of it. Are you not anxious to know what has become of him, said Markham? Not at all, sir. I trust he is in the best protection. So good a young man as he is, is safe everywhere. You see, cousin Jack, said Wenlock, how this villain has stole the hearts of my uncle's servants. I suppose this canting old fellow knows where he is, if the truth were known. Have you any further commands for me, gentlemen? said the old man. No, not we. Then I am ordered to attend my lord when you have done with me. Go then about your business. Joseph went away, glad to be dismissed. What shall we do, cousin Jack, said Wenlock, to pass away the time? It is plaguely dull sitting here. Dull enough, said Markham. I think the best thing we can do is to go to bed and sleep it away. Faith, said Wenlock, I am in no disposition to sleep. Who would have thought the old man would have obliged us to spend the night here? Don't say us, I beg of you. It was all your own doing, replied Markham. I did not intend he should have taken me at my word. Then you should have spoken more cautiously. I have always been governed by you, like a fool as I am. You play the braggart, and I suffer for it. But they begin to see through your fine-spun arts and contrivances, and I believe you will meet with your deserts one day or another. What now? Do you mean to affront me, Jack? Know that some are born to plan, others to execute. I am one of the former, and thou of the latter. Know your friend, or— Or what? replied Markham. Do you mean to threaten me, if you do? What, then? said Wenlock. Why, then, I will try which of us two is the best man, sir. Upon this Markham arose, and put himself into a posture of defence. Wenlock, perceiving he was serious in his anger, began to soothe him. He persuaded, he flattered, he promised great things if he would be composed. Markham was sullen, uneasy, resentful. Whenever he spoke, it was to upbraid Wenlock with his treachery and falsehood. Wenlock tried all his eloquence to get him into a good humour, but in vain. He threatened to acquaint his uncle with all that he knew, and to exculpate himself at the other's expense. 
Wenlock began to find his color rise, and they were both almost choked with rage, and at length they both rose with a resolution to fight. As they stood with their fists clenched, on a sudden they were alarmed with a dismal groan from the room underneath. They stood like statues, petrified by fear, yet listening with trembling expectation. A second groan increased their consternation, and, soon after, a third completed it. They staggered to a seat, and sunk down upon it, ready to faint. Presently, all the doors flew open. A pale, glimmering light appeared at the door from the staircase, and a man, in complete armor, entered the room. He stood, with one hand extended, pointing to the outward door. They took the hint, and crawled away as fast as fear would let them. They staggered along the gallery, and from thence to the baron's apartment, where Wenlock sunk down in a swoon, and Markham had just strength enough to knock at the door. The servant who slept in the outward room alarmed his lord. Markham cried out, "'For heaven's sake, let us in!' Upon hearing his voice, the door was opened, and Markham approached his uncle in such an attitude of fear as excited a degree of it in the baron. He pointed to Wenlock, who was, with some difficulty, recovering from the fit he was fallen into. The servant was terrified as he rung the alarm bell. The servants came running from all parts to their lord's apartment. The young gentleman came likewise, and presently all was confusion, and the terror was universal. Oswald, who guessed the business, was the only one that could question them. He asked several times, "'What is the matter?' Markham at last answered him, "'We have seen the ghost.' All regard to secrecy was now at an end. The echo ran through the whole family. "'They have seen the ghost.' The baron desired Oswald to talk to the young men, and endeavoured to quiet the disturbance. He came forward, he comforted some, he rebuked others, he had the servants retire to the outward room. The baron, with his sons and kinsmen, remained in the bedchamber. "'It is very unfortunate,' said Oswald, "'that this affair should be made so public. Surely these young men might have related what they had seen, without alarming the whole family. I am very much concerned upon my lord's account.' "'I thank you, father,' said the baron. "'But Prudence was quite overthrown here. Wenlock was half dead, and Markham half distracted.' The family were alarmed without my being able to prevent it. But let us hear what these poor terrified creatures say. Oswald demanded, What have you seen, gentlemen? The ghost, said Markham. In what form did it appear? A man, in armor. Did it speak to you? No. What did it do to terrify you so much? It stood at the farthest door and pointed to the outward door as if to have us leave the room. We did not wait for a second notice, but came away as fast as we could. Did it follow you? No. Then you need not have raised such a disturbance. Wenlock lifted up his head and spoke. I believe, father, if you had been with us, you would have not stood upon ceremonies any more than we did. I wish my lord would send you to parley with the ghost, for, without doubt, you are better qualified than we." "'My lord,' said Oswald, "'I will go thither with your permission. "'I will see that everything is safe, "'and bring the key back to you. "'Perhaps this may help to dispel the fears that have been raised. "'At least I will try to do it. "'I thank you, father, for your good offices. "'Do as you please.' 
Oswald went into the outer room. "'I am going,' said he, "'to shut up the apartment. "'The young gentlemen have been more frightened "'than they had occasion for. "'I will try to account for it. "'Which of you will go with me?' "'They all drew back, except Joseph, "'who offered to bear him company. "'They went into the bedroom in the haunted apartment "'and found everything quiet there. "'They put out the fire, extinguished the lights, "'locked the door, and brought away the key. "'As they returned, "'I thought how it would be,' said Joseph.' "'Hush! Not a word,' said Oswald. "'You find we are suspected of something, though they know not what. "'Wait till you are called upon, and then we will both speak to purpose.' "'They carried the key to the baron. "'All is quiet in the apartment,' said Oswald, as we can testify. "'Did you ask Joseph to go with you?' said the baron, "'or did he offer himself?' "'My lord, I asked if anybody would go with me, and they all declined it but he.' I thought proper to have a witness beside myself, for whatever might be seen or heard. Joseph, you were servant to the late Lord Lovell. What kind of man was he? A very comely man, please your lordship. Should you know him, if you were to see him? I cannot say, my lord. Would you have any objection to sleep a night in that apartment? I beg, I hope, I beseech your lordship not to command me to do it. "'You are then afraid. "'Why did you offer yourself to go thither?' "'Because I was not so much frightened as the rest. "'I wish you would lie a night there, "'but I do not insist upon it. "'My lord, I am a poor, ignorant man, "'not fit for such an undertaking. "'Besides, if I should see the ghost, "'and if it should be the person of my master, "'and if it should tell me anything, "'and bid me keep it secret, "'I should not dare to disclose it, "'and then—' "'What service should I do to your lordship?' "'That is true, indeed,' said the baron. "'This speech,' said Sir Robert, "'is both a simple and an artful one. "'You see, however, that Joseph is not a man for us to depend upon. "'He regards the Lord Lovell, though dead, "'more than Lord Fitzowen, living. "'He calls him master and promises to keep his secrets. "'What say you, father? "'Is the ghost your master or your friend? "'Are you under any obligation to keep his secrets?' "'Sir,' said Oswald, "'I answer as Joseph does. "'I would sooner die than discover a secret revealed in that manner.' "'I thought as much,' said Sir Robert. "'There is a mystery in Father Oswald's behaviour "'that I cannot comprehend.' "'Do not reflect upon the father,' said the baron. "'I have no cause to complain of him. "'Perhaps the mystery may be too soon explained. "'But let us anticipate evils. "'Oswald and Joseph have spoken like good men.' I am satisfied with their answers. Let us, who are innocent, rest in peace, and let us endeavor to restore peace in the family, and do you, father, assist us. With my best services, said Oswald. He called the servants in. Let nothing be mentioned out of doors, said he, of what has lately passed within, especially in the east apartment. The young gentlemen had not so much reason to be frightened as they apprehended, a piece of furniture fell down in the rooms underneath, which made the noise that alarmed them so much. But I can certify that all things in the room are in quiet, and there is nothing to fear. All of you attend me in the chapel in an hour. Do your duties. Put your trust in God, and obey your Lord, and you will find everything go right as it used to do. They dispersed. The sun rose, the day came on, and everything went on in the usual course. But the servants were not so easily satisfied. 
they whispered that something was wrong, and expected the time that should set all right. The mind of the baron was employed in meditating upon these circumstances, that seemed to him the forerunners of some great events. He sometimes thought of Edmund. He sighed for his expulsion, and lamented the uncertainty of his fate, but to his family he appeared easy and satisfied. End of Part 6